so um, all this week while I was thinking about today, um, I kept seeing this picture of a dude that sells beer. How weird is that, right? Um, I, we brought the picture. You want to go throw it up there for him? Um, this is what I saw all week long as I was preparing for today. Now, you're not going to hear a lot of pastors say this, but if, um, if you really don't remember anything else that I say today, please remember the beer man, okay? Um, maybe the last time you ever hear a pastor say that, well, if you keep coming here, it probably won't be, but just remember the beer man, okay? Um, this is what was going through my head the entire week. Now, there's all kinds of funny stuff on the internet about this guy, but if you've seen the commercials, he always ends the commercial, every commercial, with the same Four words, stay thirsty, my friends, okay? And so that's kind of where we're going today. We're going to talk about kind of thirst, like staying thirsty. I ran across this, this great story um, about a little boy who was being put to bed by his dad, and as soon as he got the kid in bed, the dad went back out and got all comfortable on the couch, and then his son screamed out, hey, dad, can I have some water? And this really resonated with me because every night this happens at my house. I don't have a five-year-old son, but I have Sydney. And, I mean, without fail. Um, have you seen the movie Signs? Yes. yes? Just nod your head. You know how the little girl, she had, like, glasses of, like, half-full water glasses all over the house? That's Sydney. I'm not saying we're going to be invaded by aliens. I'm, I'm like, it's going to be a great movie that's going to be really good until you see the cheesy costume at the end. Um, but that's kind of where we are at our house. She's got water all over the place. So, like, she'll ask me to bring her water, and it just gets, it gets old. Okay, so I really resonate with this story. So this five-year-old son, he's like, Dad, bring me some water. And the dad's like, no, go to sleep. The son waits a little bit, and he screams out a little bit louder, Hey, Dad, can I have some water? And the dad's like, no! I know y'all would have been nicer, like, oh, please, I beseech thee, son, go to sleep. This dad was like, no! No water, go to sleep. The son waited a little bit longer, and he screamed out, Hey, Dad! When you come back to spank me, can you bring me some water? <laughs> Man, all of us get thirsty, right? So my point this morning is, is this. Our word this morning is this. It's unsatisfied. My point here is that I think we need to stay thirsty, my friend. We, we need to have this... Um, if you've got a note sheet, I'm fixing to give you a big idea. We're going to have to say it a couple times because it's going to sound so weird and mind-blowing. I don't want to make this any harder than it really is, okay? So here's kind of where we're, we're headed today. <laughs> we should make you say this from memory. What we want is, we, we, we sometimes as, as Christians think we shouldn't want more. You ever heard that? Be content. We talk about contentment a lot here. But be content. Be thankful for what you have. Don't ask for more. There's hungry kids in Africa. We get all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but, but at some point, we have to recognize this. We're, we're going to see that God's intent is that we stay thirsty, that we learn to live in a place, here it is, where being satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction is satisfying. Everybody say, huh? Right, exactly. Stay thirsty, my friend. It means this. People say it one more time. Being satisfied... With an unsatisfied satisfaction is satisfying. I know that confuses the hound out of you. Me too, I had to say it. Let's just kind of work our way through this, okay? Three quick points. One, we crave things. Why do we crave things? 
When I asked you to talk to your neighbor about stuff that you crave, um, whatever came out, why do, why do we crave stuff? There's a really simple answer. We were made to. We were created to crave. Maybe that would be a simpler way to say all that. But we were made to crave. It's built into us. There, nobody woke up this morning, I don't think, and got out of bed and said, Today I hope to live a half-hearted life. Now, you might end up living a half-hearted life today, but most of us roll out of bed like, today is going to be better than yesterday. Today, my life is going to count. When I grow up, I hope to be, and whatever you fill the blank in is probably something better than a drug dealer, right? We don't hope to be something down here. We hope to be like, ask a kid that's seven years old, hey, kid, what do you want to be? And he's like a professional football player. He didn't say, I want to be a bum, sits at home and collects an unemployment check. I don't want, not, not, if you collect an unemployment check, don't make you a bum. I don't want to be somebody that sits at home and just takes money. From, I, just want, I don't want to sit on the couch and eat Lay's potato chips and get fat. I want to, and they'll say something, do something, and it's big dreams. You were made that way. Now think back to when you were a child, because now you're an adult, right? So now your mind's all full of, well, I can't do that. And there are some things that we can't do. I'm not going to play professional football no matter how bad I want to. But think back to when you were a child. What were the things that you dreamed about? What were the things that you hoped for? We're made to crave more. We're made for our lives to count. Most of us don't simply want to go to work, collect a paycheck, and repeat that two-week two cycle for the rest of our lives. Even if you have a job where you work two weeks, get a paycheck for the rest of your life, you want something to happen at your work that matters. You want to be able to say at the end of your life, I worked at this employer for this many months because I was telling this many people about Jesus. We want something to count. Or because I worked for an employer who was doing great things in the world, we want our lives to count. You're made that way. You've got friends that are always asking the question, why am I here? What's my destiny? What's my purpose? You ever ask yourself that question? I mean, like right now, hopefully you're not going, why am I here? This church is terrible. But you ever wake up and just wonder that? You ever go through the day and just, well, what am I, what am I doing with my life? You, you were made to crave. Here's, the problem is sometimes people don't even know what they need. I, I ran across this story, it's a true story, of a 12-year-old boy who in a fit of rage killed his father. Now this immediately scared me. Because I am a father, right? Like in a fit of rage, his 12-year-old son kills his father. That 12-year-old son goes to jail, and one of, the, one of the guards was walking down the hall. And as he got closer to that young man's cell, he heard all this crying and wailing. And he listened real close. And here's what the boy was saying over and over and over again. I want my father. I want my father. And think about that. The very person he wants is the person that he killed. Now, let's spiritualize that just for a second, Okay. Don't we do that all the time? We push away the thing that we really need. You come this morning and Spirit of God's moving. You start feeling this, man, I just kind of want something more. I don't know what to do with that. And we think it might be Jesus, but here's what we do. I do it too. We kind of push that. No, it can't be that. I'll work harder. I'll, I'll get a better job. I got it. I'll try a different church. I'll move to a different city. All those aren't bad things, but if we're doing all those things because we, that's our idea of 
filling up this void, it'll never happen. It's just a really smart guy named Augustine. He said a lot of really smart things. One of them was this, you have made us for yourself and our souls are restless until they rest in you. And God made you to crave. He made us to crave. Even as believers, um, we find God, we figure out that he's the one that we've been craving. The temptation somehow is to think that we should stop. Like, can you imagine a scenario where Jesus is really close to you? Like, you, you feel like one of those disciples, you're walking with Jesus, and he's right there, and then he looks at you, and you're just like, hey, Jesus, this has been awesome, but I've had enough, thanks. I can't imagine a scenario where I would tell God, I've had enough of you, thanks. Sometimes that's what we feel like we're supposed to do. Well, I got saved, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, eh, kind of, in January when we start that plan. But I guess this is it. Woohoo! And you were made to want more than that. In Psalm 63, we find David craving. Um, he was unsatisfied. It's a great psalm. And here's what he says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He, he didn't um, just crave anything, right? Like you go, go run, you don't come back and go, man, I, I just crave some junk food right now. Typically you get done with a run, you want some water, right? Start craving good things. He doesn't just crave anything. He doesn't say, man, my body, it craves. My soul, man, it thirsts. And I'll just, anything, just give me anything to fill the void. And what he said was, I long for you, God. I want you, God. We were made to crave. We were made to crave God. So here's what, what do we do when we crave? Just in this psalm, here's what David did. Three things that he did when he craved. Real quick. First, he pursued God. You have to write that down. If you want to, you can. He pursued God. So he's thirsting. He's craving after God. And here's what he said. I have seen you in the sanctuary, verse 2, and beheld your power and your glory. I love that he pursued God. He didn't, um, you ever been in a public place and your stomach starts growling? Is it happening right now? Any of you? You should be really quiet and listen. I remember sitting in church, in quiet churches. This isn't such a quiet church, but in quiet churches where like if your stomach growled, everybody heard it. And you, you ever talk to your stomach? Down, boy, down. Shh. You start trying to swallow air, anything to try to fill your stomach so it won't growl. Sometimes when your stomach starts to growl, we don't just sit there and take it, right? We try to, we pop in breath mints, whatever we can do. Like some of you are going to be kicking back Tic Tacs and just eating them up. Anything we can do to fill that void. David's the same way. He didn't just sit back and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to growl. My stomach's going to I'm just craving. I, it'll, it'll pass. He didn't say that at all. He got intentional. I love that he did this. He pursued God and he pursued God in church. He said, in your sanctuary, he, he pursued the presence of God. I love that. So you're made to crave, right? You start feeling like we did this morning. I just want more. I want something more. There's got to be something more. The answer to that, there's got to be something more, is the presence of God. We start to pursue God. So he pursued God, and then he praised God. Um, verses 3 through 5. I love that he said this. He said, God's love was more important to him than his own life. 
I'm like, when's the last time I said that? Is that? Was that your prayer time this morning? God, I just love you more than my life. We don't, that doesn't roll off our tongue. But it did off of David. He said this, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I, he didn't say, I'm going to praise you because the music's great, which it was. I'm going to praise you because we did my favorite song. I'm going to praise you because I won the lottery. He said, I'm just going to praise you because your love is better than this life. Period. He praised him. He was intentional in his praise. He said, I will praise you as long as I live, verse 4, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? I'm going to lift up my hands just as soon as I dig them out of my pocket. All right? How many of you have been away from somebody that you really loved for a very, very long time? And then when you saw them for the first time, you ran at them like this. I missed you. Give me a hug. No. I think I just dislocated my shoulder. That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? I should have. That would have been awesome. Healing service. We, man, we throw our hands out. Like, I mean, even now at my age, huh, figure, I'll like pick Wendy up. Like, you know, try to do the whole get her to kick her leg out thing, right? <laughs> She's like, put me down. We, we don't, that's what he's saying. Man, I'm passionately pursuing you. I'm praising you. I'm not just going to sit here and let the worship band do it for me. I'm going to praise you. If they suck, I'm still going to praise you. I passionately want to pursue that. That's how badly he wanted the presence of God. He, he praised God for what he had done and for what he was doing. I thought about this this morning while we were singing that last song, when I felt like we were just really starting to push into God. Here's what David said. He said, my soul will be satisfied. As, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. He remembers what God has done. I don't know what you do in your bed. Well, let's just move on. Fart. Um, I, I, he remembers God. Like he remembers all the things that God's done for him. All the wives were like, oh, he nailed you, buddy. He nailed you. That's what you do in bed. He remembers what God's done for him, and then he thinks about what God's doing for him right now. You have done this for me in the past, but right now, I am up under the, the shadow of your wing. He thinks about what God's done. He praises him for what he's going to do. And I love the fact that he said that he was singing for joy. Man, he, he wasn't singing sad songs, right? Like, that's our idea, isn't it? You have a bad day. So you put on sad songs. What's up with that? This will make me better. Now, this will make you depressed, right? I just lost my job, so I'm going to sing, a, listen to songs about people that lose their jobs. That'll help. Perfect. No, man, David did the opposite. He said, I'm, I'm going to sing for joy. I'm going to sing for joy. He wasn't singing sad songs. And then the last thing he did was he put himself in God's hands. Verse 8 says this, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. So he clung to God, and God covered him, and David trusted in God. So when you start to, when you start to really crave, you start to feel that, like, there's got to be more. And the first thought is, I need to do something. I need to get a better job. I need to change something that's going on out here. No, 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 no. What you crave is you crave God. And so do the things that David did. He pursued God. He praised God. He put himself in God's hands. 
And then the last thing we want to talk about is this. If God satisfies, then why am I telling you to live unsatisfied? If, if God truly can satisfy our souls, why in the world would I stand up here as your pastor and say, you need to live unsatisfied? Let's just talk through that real quick. Um, just jot down on your sheet, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 18. Let me tell you a real quick story. In 2 Kings chapter 13, there's a king and there's a prophet. The prophet's of God, the king is not. And so the king doesn't care anything at all about what the prophet has to say until he finds out that the prophet's dying. And so he's like, man, before this prophet dies, I need to go to him. I need to, him, I need to get him to tell me something from God that can help me when he dies. Okay, you with me so far? So he's in a room. He's talking to the prophet who's on the bed. He's like, you got to have something for me before I die. What is it? And the prophet says, open the window. Okay, so he opens the window. This is all in the Bible. You can look later. 2 Kings chapter 13. He opens the window and the prophet says, take a bow, take an arrow. He's like, yeah, I'm into this. This is cool. And I want you to shoot that arrow out the window. Okay. Pew. Now, to us, we're reading that going, that's stupid. To the king in that time, he knew this. They believed that if you saw an arrow flying through the air, that it meant that something amazing, it's like an oracle. Like, I'm gonna, it's a sign. I'm going to hear something from God. And right now, it's going to change my world. And so he shoots it out, and he's like, yeah. And the, the prophet said, the way that arrow flew, that's the sign of your victory over and the, the battle that they were getting ready to fight against an enemy. And it would have been a huge upset. Kind of like if the Panthers win the Super Bowl next year. Nobody's expecting it, even on their best day. And so if it happened, we'd be like, yeah, I called it. But we really didn't. So he shoots the arrow out. He knows he's going to have victory. And then the prophet says, now I want you to do something else. I want you to take all the arrows in your hand. I just want you to beat the ground with them. Now, I don't know what you would do in that situation. One... I already heard from the, kid, the prophet, I'm going to have victory, right? So I don't have to worry about that. I'm already going to win. And now he's asking me as a king to get down and start whacking the ground with arrows. And so he just kind of like does the whole like gets down, hits the ground three times, and stands back up. And the prophet gets mad and says to the king, I'm paraphrasing, why stop at three? You should have hit the ground five or six times. But because you only stop, hit it three times, you'll only win three times. Now, this sounds unfair, doesn't it, to say to the king, hey, you should have known, you should have been whacking that ground as hard as you could have. But the truth of the matter is, he'd already heard something from the prophet. He'd already been told something good was going to happen. You're going to have victory. He had no reason not to want more, but he settled. Do you see what I'm saying? He settled. He was satisfied. There's a verse in Amos, I believe it's Amos chapter 6, verse 1, that says, Woe to the house of God, basically, to those who are at ease in Zion. To the people who have found life and then have settled for life. But God does not call us just to say, hey, that's good, that's enough, that's all I want. He calls us to want more. Matthew 5, chapter 6, this is at the, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, and then we'll wrap it up. He said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, I'm going to go all technical on you, okay? So sit up straight. Because in the Greek, when he says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He's saying this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst over and over and over and over again for righteousness, for they will be filled over and over and over again. It's an unsatisfied 
satisfaction. It's this thing where we say to God, that was great and it was so filling and now I want more. That's what God's calling us to. I want to read you a few scriptures. You don't have to jot these down. They'll be online later. Just as we start to wrap this up. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. David said this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isaiah 26, 8 and 9. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning my spirit longs for you. Psalm 62, 1 and 2. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And then the hunter verse, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with the living God? Um, you know when a deer is the most thirsty? It's all channel our inner deer. A deer is most thirsty when he's been wounded. That's why I don't hunt. That's why if you hunt and you shoot a deer and you can't find it, you start to move towards water. Because when they've been wounded, they go looking for water. It's not that much different. Last night we were at home and Wendy was watching some cheesy old movie about the blue and the gray. And this guy was in the bed dying, and the woman came in and got some water on a rag and blotted his, you know, blotted his forehead, and then she gave him water as he was dying. Thanks. Apparently, you're really thirsty when you're dying. Man, when deer are wounded, they're just like me and you. Some of you are wounded. Why are you wounded? Well, sometimes it's our own fault, right? It's because we look to other people, we look to other things in this world to satisfy what only Jesus can. And so we kind of walk away disillusioned, right? You ever had that happen? Somebody let you down? That happens to me all the time. So we're looking to the wrong places. That can wound us. Here's another reason why we get wounded. Because we hurt and ache. Listen to this closely. When the longings in us are deeper than can be filled quickly. We hurt and ache because the longings in us are deeper than what can be filled quickly. Let me tell you what I mean by that in Psalm 42 that same psalm where David talks about panting like a deer which is great um, I read a story I don't know if it's true but um, it was this young boy that went to a, um, like a wise spiritual guru and said I really want to see God. Can you help me see God? And he's like, absolutely. Come on, let's go down to the river. So they went down to the river. They got in the river. And the, the spiritual guru took the guy and put him under water and held him there. And eventually, you know, like bubbles are coming up and he's still holding him there. Arms are flailing, thrashing. He's still holding him underwater. And finally, when the guy's just about to die, he lets him come up, and he just <gasps> comes out of the water, and he's like, what was that? And the guy said, when you hunger for God, like your lungs hungered for air, you'll see him. Here's the thing. That's why we're wounded. That's why we hurt. Because there's an aching in us for something more that cannot be found anywhere in here. 
The best friend in your life cannot meet that need. When Dave was talking about wounded deer, he gets down to verse 7. Psalm 42, verse 7, he says this, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now listen, David's in deep despair when he writes this, okay? And we're wrapping up. This past week, we're at the beach, and um, right before the hurricane messed everything up, we were out in the ocean, and we love to body surf. I love to body surf. So you have to get out far enough to be able to body surf, right? You can't, like, you don't go into ankle-deep water and body surf because then you get hurt. Have you ever, don't ever try that. I mean, I can see some of you are like, I'm going to try that. It's hard to really body surf in ankle-deep water. You've got to go out. And to get out, you have to walk through waves, right? And there was this... Um, one time we're kind of, it's getting a, little bit, getting a little bit rough because the hurricane was a couple days away and we're trying to get out and Wendy's just getting pounded. Like she's just, man, she's just getting rocked by these waves. And I turned around and she's like, once she said, I have a different understanding of the, of the song Oceans, if you've heard Oceans, you know, some, and I also, I, I just, I'm sick of these waves and I can just see it. I don't know if you ever get, if you ever, can you tell when the women in your life have had enough? Like a face happens, doesn't it? Like. They, they get that, like, I'm going to kill the next person that looks at me face. And she looked at me like that, and I was, I'm thinking, I'm not the ocean. I'm not the waves. Like, I'm on your side. Really, I'm on your side. And she just kind of went. I could see all of her face. She's, and she just started walking through these waves. Like, if you could put words to her face, it was like, screw you, waves. I'm going out. Listen, there's a there's a. a, a drawing in us to the deep things of God. This says the deep calls to deep. There's something deep in God that is calling to us. It is why, I was telling some guys Thursday night at Every Man's Battle, when I drive down to the beach, in my head, I'm thinking about all the stuff that could kill me, right? Sharks, guppies, other swimmers with guns, whatever, you know, just all the things in the water that could kill me. Like, I'll be the one guy that the whale comes up at Myrtle Beach and eats me, right? I will be modern Jonah. I think about, but when I get in the water, I don't think about any of that. When I get in the water, what I think about is, how far out can I go? I want to go further out. I want to get out so far that somebody's like, there's an idiot way out there. There's just something about the deep that just draws me out to it. And the only way to get there is to go through what David said was, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. And sometimes you just have to fight through that stuff. You have to literally look at the things in your life and say, you know what? Yeah, there's obstacles to getting to the deep things of God, but I just don't care. I want God. If that's you, I, I want to just challenge you to let that wound, let that thirst drive you to Jesus like a deer that pants for the water. I want you to let that thirst drive you to Jesus like my wife was plowing through the waves. I want you to get the woman face and just say, I'm going after God. And I don't care who gets in my way, I'm going. Because look at me. You were created to do that. You were not created to chase empty things to fill a void. 
You were created to chase the only one that can. And you were created in such a way that when he fills the void, you're supposed to hunger and thirst again and again and again so that he can satisfy you again and again and again. I'm calling you, the gathering, to be unsatisfied. I'm calling you to not walk in here on a Sunday and say, well, we got a pretty good-sized house here. Fantastic. Let's rock it. I'm calling you to walk in and say, we got empty chairs. This is, not, this, will not, this is not good. This will not do. Because an empty chair means there's a lost soul that could be sitting right there. And if the empty chair is next to me, it means that I value this space a little bit more than I value their soul. I'm calling you to be unsatisfied with where we are and with where you are. Not so we can work harder, but so that God can fill us even more. It's what he does. Being satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction is satisfying. It is the only way to live. To just keep bringing a cup to God and saying, I just want some more. I just want some more. I want some more. There's nothing selfish about it. It's exactly how you were made. So here's how we close today. Stay thirsty, my friend. Stay thirsty, my friend. And let God fill you continually with a satisfaction that only He can give.